Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Good morning, City Walk Church. How are we doing this morning? All right. Well, I'm so glad that you're here. And uh, this week we have a a pretty cool uh, opportunity. As you walked in today, uh, you saw uh, on our four tables back there, uh, you saw some thank you notes. You probably think, yeah, what are, those, what are those there for? Well, this week we have an opportunity on Thursday that we're going to serve breakfast to all the staff here at River Valley High School. Uh, it's the day that all their staff will be back, and so we're going to provide breakfast for them. And so what our heart is is that, that on your way out today that you would take maybe uh, a minute and a half and would just jot down a sentence or two on a note just to encourage the staff here and then as we serve them breakfast we're going to just deliver all the notes and so you don't have to write a paragraph or a life story but just like a sentence or two where that you think would just be an encouragement to the staff and uh, that's an opportunity we have to just serve them uh, and just tell them how how much we care for them and how thankful we are that they invest in students and so that's right after the service you can grab those uh, and, and, and sign that, and that'd be really cool to, to be able to deliver those. Another thing this week, and I know several of you have done this and, and have kind of heard about it, uh, many of you paid it forward this week at your local Starbucks or your favorite coffee shop. And uh, I don't know about you, but it's, it's pretty fun to, when you go through Starbucks, to know that, hey, the person behind me has no clue who I am, but I want to buy their drink and just tell them that, Somebody from CityWalk loves him, and I know several of you did that, and it was, it was uh, probably a, a really fun thing, especially if your kids were with you. Uh, my, my daughter and I, we did this, and my daughter Kate, she gets so excited when we go to the drive-thru because she thinks I'm a millionaire and that every time there's someone behind us that we're supposed to buy their drink or food. And so she always went, when we go to get the drive-thru, she's like, Dad, nobody's behind us yet. Nobody's behind us. And I've literally put a movie on in the car to distract her so I don't feel as convicted because I'm not going to buy the drink for the person behind me every single time that I go to Starbucks. But this week we did, and it was fun to just be able to serve, and thank God the lady wasn't buying for a whole football team behind me. It was only like eight bucks, so, so it was fun. Uh, but I, I hope you enjoyed doing that this week. And, and it's interesting, and you know this, as much as we want to be the person that's unselfish and puts other people's needs first, we have to do things on purpose to make kind of our heart, we, with inside of us, there's something inside of us that, man, we want to be that person that's generous, and, and we want to be that person that's unselfish, and we want to be that person that puts other people's needs first, but I don't know about you, but it's really easy for me to kind of get very inward focused, and I have to do things on purpose to help my heart be unselfish, to help my heart put other people's needs first. 
And isn't it just our natural reaction? Like when, if you're a mom, when you had your baby, they didn't come out sharing. They came out crying because they wanted something. It wasn't, it's not natural for them. If you have a toddler, you know this. Or if you have a teenager, you know this. Or if you have a husband like me, you know this. Selfishness is just part of what's inside of us. And over the past few weeks, we have been in a series in the book of Philippians, and we've been looking and kind of journeying with a guy by the name of Paul, who at one point in his life was an extremely selfish, all-about-himself person. In fact, this guy Paul was a guy that before he met Jesus put a lot of stock in his outward appearance, put a lot of stock in kind of pushing the guy down that he needed to step over to get to the position he wanted, put a lot of stock in make, making sure that everything on the outside looked good even though the inside was a wreck. And he was a very selfish person. And In fact, this guy Paul... If you know anything about him, whether you grew up in church or not, he actually was really good at being selfish. Like, he, he was really good at pushing other people down to make himself look better. He was really good at keeping all the rules on the outside so that when you looked at him and he was like the top of the class, he was good at that. But then as he was literally on his way to kind of help continue to eliminate these people that were following Jesus, he met Jesus and it changed everything for him. Everything changed for Paul and he went from this guy that was all about the outward appearance and making sure that he was moving forward and he had the power and the position. He became a guy that spent the rest of his life as literally a servant of Jesus, telling people all over the world about Jesus and starting churches and cities everywhere he went. And one of those churches that we've been talking about was a church that he visited for the very first time. It was a place he visited for the first time in AD 51, and it was a place he had never planned to visit. It was a city called Philippi. It was in Europe. He had never planned to go to Europe. That wasn't part of the plan. But he went to Europe and, and he went to the city of Philippi and he did what Paul did, what, like what was normal for him. Like what Paul would do when he would enter a city, just what came naturally to him was he would get up and go talk to people about Jesus. And so that's what he did in Philippi. Just wherever he went, that's what he did. And before you know it, there were some people, some families that started following Christ. And not long after that, this little church in Philippi started. Fast forward now 10 years. After Paul initially visited this place, after these people came to know Jesus and this church was started, now Paul is 800 miles away. He's sitting in a Roman prison He's awaiting what he thinks might be his execution. And, and while he's sitting there in prison, many of the people that were friends of Paul, that were kind of people that used to encourage them, because of the social stigma of being in prison, many people kind of left Paul when the going got tough. But not this little church in Philippi. In fact, this little church in Philippi sent a guy by the name of Epaphroditus, and we've mentioned him the last few weeks. They sent one of their kind of elders, their pastors, they sent him to Philippi, or they sent him to Paul where he was in prison, 
And, and this wasn't like a short journey. It wasn't like, hey, could you run up to Sacramento and, and give this to somebody? It was like, no, no, no. Could you walk 800 miles, maybe ride a horse, and, and kind of go encourage Paul? They sent Epaphroditus to do this. And while Epaphroditus was there encouraging Paul and, and delivering some, some financial resources to him, he got extremely sick to the point where he almost died. And Paul even says, man, that that would have been sorrow upon sorrow for him if even while he was in prison, this guy that he loved so much would have died. It would have broke his heart, but Epaphroditus got better. And so here's what Paul did. As he sat in prison, literally not knowing if, if the next day somebody was going to come in and take him outside the, the city and cut his head off, he thought that was a possibility. While he was awaiting this, he penned a letter to the church in the city of Philippi. And he said, hey, Epaphroditus, if you don't mind walking 800 miles again, I actually have a letter I'd love for you to deliver. And so Epaphroditus took this letter that Paul had written from prison all the way back to this church that Paul had helped start 10 years earlier. And, and Paul's reason for writing this letter was he wanted to thank these people for their gift that they had given him, but he also wanted to encourage them and help them move forward in their walk with Jesus. Imagine that, honestly. Like you're sitting in prison 800 miles away, you're awaiting what is probably going to be your execution in a really not fun way to get killed, and you're thinking about this church 800 miles away. So much so that you pray through a letter that you want to have delivered to them because they're so special to you. And so Epaphroditus takes this letter, and, and this letter, the, what we do with these letters is we've taken these letters and we've broken them down into chapters because they're easier to read. But when they received this letter, it wasn't like, hey, we're going to read chapter one of Paul's letter tonight, and then tomorrow night we're going to read chapter two. It was like all one letter. And so at the end of what we have broken it down to be chapter one, Paul says this in Philippians chapter one, verse 27. This is what he says, and we, we briefly mentioned this verse last week. He says this, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Only let your manner of life, this was a political phrase that basically meant, hey, you are a citizen of heaven, and so let your manner of life, the way you live, let it be as a citizen of heaven, not a citizen of Rome. Because back in this time, man, as much as we have pride in our American heritage and being a citizen of America, which is great to have pride in your country, they had tremendous pride in their privilege of being a Roman citizen and all that came with that. And here's what Paul said. As much as you love Rome and as much as you're proud of being a citizen of Rome and, and your allegiance is to Caesar, he says this, I want your life to look like you are not a citizen of Rome, but you are a citizen of heaven. Let your life be worthy of your citizenship in heaven. This would drastically impact their way of life and even how they interacted with people. And here's what's, here's what's interesting. This was not an easy place to be a follower of Jesus. I mean, we, honestly, we think we're here in America and, and we think, man, 
you know what, if I, if I go to school this year and I actually bow my head and pray at the table, someone might laugh at me, and that would rock my world. These people are worried about getting killed. So, I mean, it, it was a little tough to be a Christian where they were, and, and so they knew that with living for Jesus and, and letting their life look like they are citizens of heaven and not citizens of earth, man, there was some, some courage that they would have to have. But I love what Paul does. Because instead of like, hey, here's this big idea, be a citizen of heaven, what the heck does that look like? I mean, I mean, don't you love those kind of things where you get, when somebody gives you something to do and they're like, hey, go do this, and you're like, I would, I just don't know, what is my first step to doing that? I mean, have you ever had to put something together for your kids? And you open up the directions, and there's literally like six languages. You have to find your language, and you have to look. There's no pictures for guys like me. It's like all these little words, and you're like, uh, in, in our life, it's, hey, Lori, call your dad, because uh, we're going to need your dad to come over and help with this. I hate that. For me, man, give me like a YouTube video, like picture after picture. I'm good with that. A few years ago, and this is not like me, so don't call me if you need your refrigerator or washing machine fixed, because I'll break it more on accident. But I actually, we were in Indiana, and our uh, washing machine was broke, and we were broke. So when you're broke and your washing machine's broke, you have to do something. Or you just wash your clothes like the old, they did in the old days by like rubbing them against rocks or whatever you got to do. So, so we, we had to fix our washing machine and I was like, you know what, I'm, I don't really want to pay someone to do this, but I'm the least qualified person in our city to do this. So I looked on YouTube and I found a video. That showed me how, to, and, and what took the guy on YouTube like 10 minutes took me two days. I had to set the project down, so I stayed a Christian, uh, and it was very hard for me. But we, our washing machine worked, and, and that's what I need. I, I, need a, I need a video. I need some pictures. I need, if, 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 hey, you need to fix your washing machine, show me how to do it. And that's what Paul did. He said, I want you to live a life that looks like a citizen of heaven. And he says, instead of leaving you hanging and kind of making you guess at what that kind of looks like, let me me show you how to do that. And so Philippians chapter 2, verse 1, and again, it wasn't broken down in chapters back then, so it was just, they just kept reading. And here's what it says in verse 1 of Philippians 2. It says this. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Paul says this, so if, and that word if is a better translated since, so basically, hey, since you have, have had some encouragement because of your relationship with Jesus, since you have been comforted by his love, since you have been, been kind of blessed by the participation with other believers, since you've, all those things have happened because of your relationship with Jesus, he says this, because of that, make me really happy. He says, make my joy complete. He says, basically, If you want to make Uncle Paul really happy, this is how you do it. He says, make me truly happy by being of the same mind. 
having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And so basically what Paul's saying is, based on what you have because of your relationship with Jesus, which for some of us, let's be honest, we forget what we have because of our relationship with Jesus, and that's one of the reasons we're so selfish. Isn't it true that, that usually if you're sitting down with one of your kids and you're kind of walking them through, hey, this bad choice you made or the selfish thing that you did, usually what we do many times is we try to remind them of, hey, look what you have, look what you've been given, look what life could look like. We remind them of what they already have and that helps them in their life. And here's what Paul's saying, hey, stop, remember what you have. And when you reflect on what you have, it should be natural for you to be like-minded, for you to be a unified body, for you to pull in the same direction, for you to be unified. See, Paul, here's what he's calling for. He's calling for unity, not uniformity. Unity is heart. Uniformity is bowling t-shirts that match all the same. Like, Paul's not asking them, hey, everybody get the same bowling shirt with the name on it so you all look exactly alike. He's not calling to, to this church to be like a uniform church. Everybody looks exactly the same. Here's what he's saying. His, he's saying, because of what you have in your relationship with Jesus, your focus, your, your, what's inside your purpose, what you're about, should be the same. Instead of being a, a body that is pulling in all these different directions and, and not getting anything done for the kingdom, because of what you have in your relationship with Jesus, I want you to be unified and pulling in the same direction. Because when you're unified, there's tremendous power. And whether you're a follower of Christ or not, this unity thing should catch your thoughts. You should lean in a little bit because you've seen this in the business world. You've seen this in the sports world. You've seen, and I remember growing up in the 90s. And I graduated high school in 95. And so in the 90s, the Bulls were the thing. The Chicago Bulls were the thing in the 90s. And, and, and they always had, they always had two, two superstars. They always had Michael Jordan. They always had Scottie Pippen. But then what they did is they surrounded those guys with a bunch of different characters. I mean, you had Dennis Rodman, who was a character, still is a character. I mean, he was like not uniform, not the same, man. He was totally kind of off-the-wall guy. You had John Paxson, you had Steve Kerr, you had Horace Grant, you had all through the 90s these different people that they surrounded Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen with. And never if you were to look at these guys, if you were to look at their lifestyles, they definitely weren't alike. But when they got on the court, they had the same purpose, they had the same goals, they had the same focus, and so this team that was so different in their normal lives, they accomplished things that, that we'll talk about really for the rest of our life if you're a basketball fan. And that's what Paul was saying. He's saying, hey, you, you want to live a life that's worthy of the gospel? You want to look like somebody that's a citizen of heaven and not a citizen of earth? Then, man, because of what you have in your relationship with Jesus, you be unified in your you're gathering, you pull in the same direction, because here's what happens, and you've seen it, and some of you, maybe if, 
if you kind of were burnt by the church or you walked away from the church, in many cases, it was the church's fault because the church was not a good example of what we just talked about. Because you came to church and you expected like, oh, aren't these Jesus followers? Shouldn't they like be unified, moving in the same direction, loving each other? And what you found was, wow, it seems like those people don't like those people very much. In fact, they're kind of talking about those people. And, and those people are angry because the carpet's red and they want the carpet to be blue. And so they're fighting about that. And, and this deacon over here is upset with it. And you're like, what? And so you just threw in the towel like, why would I want any of that? Because churches and, and followers of Christ don't always live this out. And Paul's saying, hey, you, you want to look, you want to be different? You, you want to be different? You want to be somebody who is known as someone that's a citizen of heaven and not somebody that just follows the trends of, of Rome and America? Then you be unified. You, you be a gathering that doesn't look all the same, but is unified around a focus and a purpose, and you will stand out, and you will see the kingdom move forward. But then Paul goes on, and he says this, and this is where it gets convicting. This is where, like, oh, man, I wish he wouldn't have said this. He says this. He says, do nothing. You know what the Greek translation for nothing is? Nothing. Not once, no, whatever word you want to use. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition. So, so do nothing. Can I do like a little bit on Monday, Paul? No, do nothing from selfish ambition. Do, do nothing from this place of wanting to advance your own agenda. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. What's conceit? It's this empty glory where people feel like they have to push other people down to make themselves look good. He says this, do nothing to advance your own agenda or to push other people down so you have this empty glory on the inside. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. What's the word humility mean? Sometimes we think, oh, humility means like I have to like crawl on the ground and like, like never look anybody in the eye and just be always down. No, that's not what it means. You know what this word means? Value yourself appropriately. So don't think too high of yourself, but don't think too low of yourself. Like you're, you're not supposed to like grovel in the, just think of yourself the way you're supposed to think of yourself. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. See, a person whose goal in life is self-fulfillment and self-advancement will never understand unity. They'll, they'll, they'll walk through their whole life and they'll never know what unity is all about. See, I wrote this in my notes. Instead of selfishness, disunity, clawing through life to accomplish your agenda at the expense of others, which is normal in Rome and in America, there's a better way. And here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, you, you want to look like a citizen of heaven? You want to advance his kingdom and not your kingdom? You got to be different. 
you have to do nothing. I mean, is that hard? I mean, really? It's like, seriously, Paul, nothing? No, he says nothing. Do nothing in your life to advance your own agenda. Do nothing in your life to push other people down to make yourself look better because it's empty glory. Do nothing. But instead, consider someone else's needs just as important as you consider your own needs. Is that hard for you? Like, because when I get up in the morning, you know whose coffee cup I'm thinking about filling up? Mine. I know that sounds like... You're an idiot, Chris, but honestly, when I, the first thing I think about when I wake up, it's like, oh, man, I need to get some coffee. And my wife's laying right there, and you know what I'm not thinking? Oh, you know what? I need to get two cups, and let me bring my wife her coffee first. No, I'm, I'm thinking about me. It's natural. You wake up in the morning, unless you're like the most spiritual person here, and we know better, you think of yourself, just like, and Paul knows this. He knows that in and of ourselves, you and I can't be unselfish. In and of ourselves, we can't put other people ahead of ourselves. Like it's impossible on our own. But then he goes on. Because at this point in the, in the letter, they're reading this letter, and, and they're probably like, all right, can we take a break? Can we set the letter down and go get a burger or something like that? Because this is getting a little rough, Paul. Paul, Paul he goes on, he says this. He says in verse 5, he says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Do nothing out of conceit. Value others better than yourselves. Do things with humility. I can't. I know you can't. Do what Jesus did. Lean into Jesus. Let me tell you how Jesus accomplished this. And that's what he does. He says, have the mind of Christ. And and he kind of walks us through it. He says, who though he was in the very form of God. What does the word form mean? It It means the very essence of God so Jesus when he came down to earth he was two things he was 100% God he was 100% man and he was also 100% a servant because Paul says it later in this passage he says he's the he's God but he's also a servant He's not putting on an act. He's not playing a role. This isn't something like, oh, I'm going to put on the servant hat when I go to earth. Like, this is who he is. And what Paul says is, he says this. He says, let me tell you what this really looks like. Let me tell you what unselfishness, humility really looks like. It looks like Jesus. See, what would a God who at his core is a serving God due in reaction to the brokenness of the world. What would a serving God do? And here's what happened. It says this, Paul says, and and we read past this like, just quick. But here's what Paul says. Jesus left heaven and came to earth. To you, you're like, oh, okay, good, good for Jesus. That's great. 
But, but we don't understand. See, see, Jesus left the glories of heaven, glories that we will not know until we are in heaven if we're a follower of Jesus. He left the glories of heaven and he stepped out of heaven and he came to earth. And, and when Jesus came to earth, when he became 100% man, he was signing up to be a man for the rest of his existence. Jesus can never not be 100% man and 100% God. When he left heaven, he left heaven as God and man, and he always will be God and man now. See, we pat ourselves on the backside. Yeah, well, I served at the soup kitchen last Christmas. I went on a missions trip for four days, and two of them were tourist days, and two of them were, but we served for two days too. And, we're, and, and those are all great things, but it's, no, no, no. Jesus left heaven and came to earth. But then Paul goes on because we're still like, okay, good for Jesus. Golf clap for Jesus. You came from heaven to earth. But then he says this. He says, did you understand that not only did Jesus leave heaven and come to earth, but he set aside the independent use of his attributes. And it's like, oh, that's kind of big words. What does that mean? When Jesus came to earth... He set aside the ability, he still had it, but he set aside the ability to use his power to help himself. Amazing. Seriously. Like when he was in the, when he was fasting for 40 days in the desert, if, if, if he wanted to like, man, I crave Dutch bros. He could have just popped one up right there. He, he could have, like, oh, whatever his faith, I mean, anything. He could have done anything he wanted, but when he came to heaven, one of the ways that he showed his humility and showed his, his servant attitude and putting others first is he left heaven and came to earth, and he set aside the use of the power he had, though he still had it, to help himself. We don't have this in Scripture, but we believe it from history most likely, Jesus' father, Joseph, died when he was a kid. We don't read about Joseph after just a few chapters. We don't read about Joseph throughout Jesus' ministry, and so probably his dad died. Jesus had the ability to raise his dad from the dead, and as far as we know, he didn't use it. He set that stuff aside when he came to earth. Johnny Hunt, he says it this way, he laid aside the expression of his divine essence, but not the possession of them. And so, like, what, what, would that, what does that even look like that someone would love us so much and put our needs ahead of himself so much that he would voluntarily leave heaven, come to earth, set aside all of his, his things that basically help him out, set aside all that, and take on the form of a servant. And then the scripture says this in verse 8. He says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on the cross. See, most people are okay with serving as long as it doesn't cost much. But when Jesus came to earth, he, he knew what was ahead of him. He came to earth with the mindset that I'm coming to give my life a ransom. He knew what was ahead of him when he stepped out of heaven and set aside his, the independent use of his attributes. He knew what was coming. 
and he still did it. See, we believe that Jesus was born, the, the scriptures talk about that. We celebrate his birth at Christmas. And then we, we believe that Jesus lived 30 years on this earth before we really start to read about his ministry. There's about 30 years where we don't hear a lot about Jesus. And then about the age of 30 is where the Gospels pick up and begin to talk about the three years from 30 to 33 that Jesus did his ministry. So for 30 years, he was, man, a son of Mary and Joseph. He was helping his dad in the carpenter business, and he was just doing life. But then at the age of 30, he, he began his ministry, and for the entire time that he was here on earth, we believe that because he was 100% God, and 100% man, he never sinned. Imagine being his brother. Like you have a brother or sister that thinks they never sin, but imagining having the, the guy that really is perfect at everything. And so that's what happened. And then Jesus, at the age of 33, after doing ministry here on earth, after gathering some followers that we now know as the disciples and the apostles, at the age of 33, Jesus had a, a last meal with his kind of key guys. And he went with those guys to a garden called the Garden of Gethsemane. And the Bible tells us that Jesus, while he was praying in that garden, a group of people came and took Jesus that night. They, they, they had been trying to get at Jesus for a long time, but they couldn't. And finally they came and they took Jesus, not because they had finally got him, but because he gave his life to them. No one took it, he gave it. They took Jesus and, and that entire night, they, when they got him, it was the middle of the night, and they put him on trial and they brought false witnesses all night long and people that would lie about him all night long. And then throughout that night between trials, they would take turns beating Jesus, spitting in his face. They ripped out his beard. The next day, they took him and, and what, what the Bible says, and it's again like a little quick verse that you think, oh, just quick, but it was really a big deal. They took him and they beat him with a thing called the cat of nine tails. Cat of nine tails had nine straps on it. Each strap had metal, glass, rock, and they beat him to the point where the scriptures tell us he did not look like a human being. Like if you walked by him, you wouldn't know he was a person. And then they took Jesus. I, I shouldn't say they took him. He gave himself. He laid on a cross. They nailed him to a cross. On that cross, he bled and died, not for his own sin, not for his own mess-ups, but for the world's. Then after he died on that cross, they took his body off that cross and they, they put his body in a grave and they kind of like got rid of Jesus now. Three days later, Jesus did exactly what he said he was going to do. He rose from the grave. And see, we, we, we read through that and we, we read through this little, this little part of the scriptures and, and this little letter to the Philippians and Paul saying, hey, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about what humility, what service really looks like. Let me give you a picture. And, and here's the bottom line. We are incapable of comprehending how high Jesus was and how low he came for us. We can't put it into words. There's no human illustrations. 
But what Paul's saying is, hey, you want to be someone who's a citizen of heaven. You want to be someone who lives their life worthy of the gospel. Then you've got to be someone who has the thinking, the mind of Christ. And this is what the mind of Christ led him to do. And then Paul goes on. And he says this in verse 9. Therefore God has highly exalted him, talking about Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. See, Jesus' name is not merely a title. It refers to his person and position of dignity and honor. And he says, hey, because of what Jesus did, God the Father gave him this name, this honor. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. What's the word Lord mean? Master, ruler, to the glory of God. And so here's here's what's interesting. Here's what Paul's saying. Because of what Jesus did, because of how he gave himself, God gave him this place of honor. And and he says this, one day all the opponents, all the followers, all the angels, all the demons, all the everything, one day will bow a knee to Jesus. They will bow a knee to Jesus as their Lord. They will bow a knee and say, Jesus, what you said about yourself is true. But here's the thing. One day every knee will bow to Jesus as Lord. But before we die, we have the opportunity to bow to Jesus as Savior and Lord. But when we die... The opportunity to bow the knee to Jesus as Savior is over. But one day, every person, every being in existence will bow the knee because of Jesus, because of who he is, because of what he's done. And so the question really is, is, hey, will I bow my knee to Jesus as Lord one day? Or will I bow my knee to Jesus in this life as Savior and Lord? It's our choice. So whether you're here and whether you'd say, you know what, Chris, I'm a longtime follower of Jesus. Maybe you're here and you're like, you know what, I'm just kind of investigating this faith thing. I'm not really sure about this whole Jesus thing. As you consider the wisdom of Paul and this idea of a selfless life that follows the example of Jesus, what emotions bubble up? Again, whether you're a follower of Jesus or whether you're not a follower, people that don't follow Jesus admire him for his selflessness. And they have, honestly, throughout history. So so when you think of Jesus and his death and resurrection, which isn't just proven because of Scripture, it's a historical, we know about it in history. When you think of that example, what bubbles up in your heart? Maybe, maybe for you it's, it's thankfulness. It's, wow, you're just in awe of what he did. 
Maybe for you it's anxiety because you're, you're not really sure what to do with it. Maybe it's optimism. Maybe it's, man, it gives you hope. Maybe for you there's a place in your heart that if you're honest, there's some conviction. As you think about the, the selfless nature of Jesus and, and what Jesus did to, to show His humility, maybe for you there's some conviction. Maybe there's emptiness or clarity. Wouldn't it be fun if you and I could take some time and sit down with the Apostle Paul at your favorite restaurant and kind of ask him how this really played out in his life? Well, I mean, wouldn't it be fun to just say, all right, Paul, I read the letter, but walk me through how this looked in your life. You know what I, I think Paul would admit? I think Paul would admit that he still struggled with selfishness just like we do. He, he was a pretty straightforward guy, at least from, from his writings, and I think he would just be straightforward and be like, you know what, never got a handle all the way on the selfishness thing. Struggled with that until the very end. But, but I think what might be different about Paul than, than maybe us is the way that he surrendered his life to Jesus. I think that might be unique. See, Paul, he had at one point, he had kind of played the religion, the position, the power game, the trying to make himself look a certain way and be the top guy on the ladder. He had done that, and he had found that empty. And, and he had kind of went down that road, but then when he met Jesus, everything changed. And now his desire was not to be at the top of the ladder or to keep all the rules and get all the stars on the star chart. That wasn't his thing. For Paul, his desire was, hey, I want to know Jesus, I want to know him more, and I want to walk with Jesus and become more like him. That's what I want. See, somewhere in our, our following Jesus thing, we made this Jesus thing about one decision. And, and the decision's important, but, but a lot of people, we made this following Jesus thing like, hey, yeah, I remember at this camp thing when I was seven years old, I think I said some words and I maybe threw a stick in the fire. Yeah, that was me. I did that. But then we live our life kind of like we don't know who Jesus is. And for Paul, this was a lot bigger than one decision. The decision was very important because it changed his direction. It changed his heart. But for Paul, this thing was about a walk. It was, hey, I made a decision to follow Christ, but now I'm, I'm daily making a decision to lean into what Jesus did for me on the cross because I can't be unselfish if I don't do that. Some of us are like, man, I, I prayed that prayer one time. I, don't, I can't figure out why I'm a jerk to my family. Because, yeah, you prayed that prayer, but you haven't talked to Jesus or walked with him any day since that prayer. And so for Paul, it was much bigger than just a prayer or just a decision. And I'm not downplaying that decision. That decision is vital. So if you're here this morning and... You're investigating faith for you. You might have walked away from church because of Christians like that. They're like, yeah, I prayed a prayer when I was seven, but I'm a jerk to you. You're my neighbor. And you're like, really? I, I don't want to be a part of that. Or, or maybe you're a follower of Christ and, and you've kind of made your religion like that too. It's like, I prayed a prayer when I was six years old, but I've been bored with Jesus since then. 
And so why, why would I live a life for Jesus? It's just Because for you, it was all about just one time. For Paul, this thing was a daily walk. It was a daily leaning into Jesus. It was a daily becoming more like Jesus. And so as we close, no matter where you find yourself on this faith journey, let me ask you this. How would your life look different if you followed Jesus' example by putting other people first tomorrow? Like, what would this week look like if you said, you know what, even if I haven't stepped over the line of faith to be a follower of Jesus, or maybe you have been a follower for a long time, what would it really look like if this week you said, I'm going to follow Jesus' example, and I am going to put other people's interests ahead of mine? Just for a week. What would it look like? How would that change your relationships? What would be different at your work? Students, how would that change your school year as you prepare to go back to school? If you walked into your school on day one and said, this year is not about me. I don't need people to like me. I don't need to be popular. I don't need to be all the things everybody else thinks you need to be. I'm here to be the hands and feet of Jesus, and I'm going to put other people's needs first. What would it look like? See, instead of focusing on living for Jesus, what if we focused on looking like Jesus? See, in your head, you probably have a list of what living for Jesus looks like. And you you probably got five or six things on that list, and it's like, if I do these five or six things, then I'm going to be living for Jesus. Almost lost my water. And and we all do. I mean, if I read my Bible and I do this, and, and all these are good things then I'll live for Jesus this week. What if you threw that list away and said, okay, what would it look like if I just look like Jesus this week? Like when I go into Starbucks, what would it look like if Jesus walked into Starbucks? How would he treat these people? Like like when I go to my school, I go to my home, and somebody is is rude to me or or does something that that I don't like. Like if Jesus was in my home, how would he treat them? Well, what about the person in my neighborhood that, that their lifestyle's different than me or they believe differently than me and, and, and other people that go to church are jerks to them? What would Jesus actually look like? How would he treat them? You know what he would? He'd probably be misunderstood, but he wouldn't care. So what would it look like is instead of focusing on living for Jesus, we focused on looking like him this week. A few weeks ago, we gave you this bracelet. And if you didn't get one, I hope you'll pick one up on the way out. And this bracelet has the word forward on it. And it's, that word forward is there so that when you look at it, you're thinking this. Forward for me is looking more like Jesus. And forward for the people I'm praying for is looking more like Jesus. And we want that reminder to be there. So knowing that we, we in, in and of ourselves, don't have the power to be unselfish. We don't have the power to do all the things we've talked about Let me give you one more thing that I'd challenge you to pray this week. Would you take the challenge to pray this? Jesus, I need you so that I can follow your example and put others first this week. Would you pray that this week? Jesus, I need you. Because here's what I know. 
you've tried to be unselfish on your own, and you and I are really bad at it. That's why we need Jesus. So would you, would you pray that this week? Jesus, I need you so that I can follow your example and put others first. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. As we, we close up this morning, maybe you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus. And you've tried to fill the void in your life and, and you kind of continue to come up empty. A lot of us have been there. Maybe this morning as we've talked about Jesus and what he did by coming to earth, dying for my sin and for your sin and, and giving his life and then going into a grave and then rising from the dead. Maybe for you, God's been working in your heart and you say, you know what, Chris, I am ready to step over the line. I'm ready to become a follower of Jesus. I know it's not about just one prayer and one decision. I, I know that decision's important. I know it's about a walk, but man, I'm ready to start that. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to just give you that opportunity. If you're here this morning and you'd say, Chris, I, I admit that I've sinned, I've disobeyed God. I admit and I know deeply that Jesus loves me. He died for me. He rose from the grave for me, and I am ready. I want to step over the line, and I want to start a relationship with Jesus. If that's you, then I'm, I'm going to just say a prayer out loud. And if you're here this morning, and you want to step over the line and become a follower of Jesus, you can just take what I say and put it into your own words in your heart. And you say, Chris, is this like a magic prayer? Does this prayer save me? No, 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 no. What saves us, what starts that relationship with Jesus is what we believe in our heart. And we just tell God what we believe in our heart by praying. And so in the quietness of this room, if today's the day that you want to start that walk, you want to step over the line and become a follower of Jesus, just in the quietness of your heart, would you just in your own words say something like this to God? God, I admit I've disobeyed you. I admit I've broken your rules. God, I believe that Jesus died and rose from the grave for me. Jesus, today, I'm coming to you. I want to start a relationship with you. I want to walk with you. Jesus, thank you for saving me. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here this morning and you just say, just this morning in the quietness of my heart, I just talked to God and I asked Jesus to save me and I started a relationship with Jesus. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand? I'm not going to embarrass you, but you'd say, this morning, Chris, I prayed and I asked Jesus to save me. I started a relationship with Jesus. You can put your hand down. Anybody else? If you're here this morning and you, you prayed and you asked Jesus to save you, if you started that relationship with Jesus, I would encourage you to write on your card. There's a spot where you can check a box that says, hey, I, I did that. And I'd encourage you to take that to our next steps table and meet Pastor Steve because we want to help you in this walk. We want to help you in this new life. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for Paul and how he wrote about the tremendous example of your son Jesus. And Lord, I pray this week that we would follow Jesus 
and follow his example. Amen.